in this week's episode of From the Top. You know what? All I have to say is Coke is a hell of a drug. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> if you've had the privilege and or horror, depending on how you view it, of watching the filmed version. <laughs> Here's a hot take. That's why people don't like cats. And some people can't get over that hurdle. And I get that too. It's freaky as f I mean, don't get me wrong, a cuddle puddle with cats sounds great, but not a sexual cuddle puddle with cats. That's where I draw a line. <laughs> to try and have like an educated conversation with someone who despises this show is the hardest thing. Is Weber gonna get another three episodes out of us? Let that bowl of cream warm in your belly for a hot second. I can't, I mean, what else do you say beyond that? That's just, that's the core of, that's the core of people. We've got magic to do just for you. My life has led me to this moment right now, <laughs> and it's causing me a lot of existential questions. <laughs> um. Like, like it's it's just it's it's opening a floodgate of just so many questions. Like, why does a shower reset your body? Are Brussels sprouts just mini cabbages? Am I in autumn or spring? I don't know. You know, <laughs> those there are so many. Wow, I don't know what to do with all of that. Right, I don't think we have time to unpack all of those things. This this show did not pose me any of those existential questions. It Ooh. only it only made me angry at Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> well, uh, this is the show that you hate watch, hate listen to. I would very say you bring up the word cats in a group of people, someone will start yelling how much they hate this show. Yep, so. totes. It is. <laughs> it's it's going to be a very interesting conversation. And again, the whole reason we do this show is to have interesting conversations. And I love the fact that you gave me this show, but I'm here to tell you if Weber gets another three episodes out of me, I'm done. I suppose um, we should get started right meow. And let's take this. <laughs> From the top! From the top! A five, six, seven! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. I'm Steven. And tonight on the marquee, as Steven has mentioned, this show is polarizing. Some people love it, some people hate it, some people love to hate it, and some people hate to love it. We are talking about the one, the only, Cats the Musical. Okay. <laughs> I can't. So I love that you hate this and I love this. <laughs> so here we are. I I only found myself after as I was watching this, I only found myself with no answers and more questions. I have Ooh. so many questions and Maybe you know what? I can answer them for you. You know what? All I have to say is Coke is a hell of a drug. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> We're going to get into it. It's fine. But but okay. 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 
So first of all, here's what I'm going to give you. A synopsis of cats in three sentences or less. Well, okay. Do you want do you want my candid uh, synopsis or do you want like the actual legit thing that I came up with? You know I want both. Okay, neat. Well, so the candid synopsis is far shorter than the other one. Um, the candid synopsis of cats is what I think a coke trip is of T.S. Eliot staring at a junkyard full of animals. Okay, so if we're... <laughs> that's what I think candidly about this. If I were to actually, like, break it down... The, the story of cats, which really isn't a story, and that's really hard for me to say, this, that was the hardest part of this for me, is it's not a story to me. It's so metaphorical and ethereal, like it's not, it, it, it was really, it was really hard for me. This was very challenging. But the story of cats is about, obviously, this group of felines called the Jellicles, right? Jellicle cats. And they get together once a year uh, at for the Jellicle Ball to kind of offer themselves up as tribute to old Deuteronomy for him to choose who will then go to the cats, their version of heaven to then be reborn into a new Jellicle life. And through the course of us learning about all of these different cats, the one that gets chosen was the one that sought fame and glory beyond the junkyard and was ostracized by this group And then because she came back and was accepted and selected to do this shows that even if you leave, you can always come home again. I I agree with everything you said. Everything you said has a point. On the grander stage of this, in the broad strokes of this, I agree with you. However, hmm. I'm going to reserve myself because you you have so much more material to cover than I have questions to ask. But I want to know what your synopsis of this is in three sentences or less. This show is a celebration of life and who we live in this life. And on top of it, it's, it this show is an audition to try and see if we can make our dreams come true. Okay, that's cute. Uh, you're gonna make me like this, aren't you? Man over there with a look of surprise, as much as to say, well now, how about that? Do I actually see with my own very eyes a man who's not heard of a genital cat? I, I'm gonna go right into the weak points of this. The weak points already? What? Yeah, I'm. Th- this show has balls to try to assume that you can just walk into a theater and understand what this is. Yes! Oh my god, that was literally my biggest hurdle. Yeah, and the, the the other hurdle that you have to get over is you're being affronted by this like visual spectacle and something that is making your brain sort of go topsy turvy mm-hmm. in these like humanoid his people like you know you're like what is this (laughs) i love this show but the issue is i see it's glaring issues Mm -hmm. and i do not i do not like denounce anyone's hatred or thinking of this show as insufferable (laughs) in in every single way so but we're gonna talk about it and i'm gonna break it down and maybe we'll we'll come at it with like a yeah i still hate this show but i i guess i understand it now (laughs) (laughs) i mean even if i walked away with an understanding 
I think that would make me feel differently about it. But you, I mean, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. That was my biggest hurdle going into this show was the fact that like it is so iconic and there are so many things about it that people, you know, understand and they, or not understand, but like that people recognize and that there there are, you know, songs in the show and moments that like get replicated over and over again in any sort of, you know, iteration of like uh, content. And for me to sit there and do, a, I'm just like, I found myself going, I don't know what is going on and I am so <laughs> unbelievably mad that I'm lost. And I would venture to say that's like 50% of people's experience. If you do not know anything about the show. I mean, like this debuted so long ago, we all now kind of have an idea of what this this thing is. And right. then this 2019 film like spurned a whole new re- renaissance for this show in a way. Like everyone has an idea, has right. a thought, has, has an opinion now yeah. about cats and for a new generation i said this was an audition we need our auditioners uh who who are we working with here oh boy this gets a little bit overwhelming so i think we've got so many characters and cats that have names that um this this call sheet might take a minute uh to be able to kind of go through we're gonna kind of highlight all of the cats that have a song or that are kind of named in a song. And we're going to, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, use those as kind of like our basis of here is our quote main cast, because this is the absolute definition of an ensemble show. So I think that if we go with the um, characters that have a song, knowing that there are multiple others that we could name that kind of play um, a little bit smaller of a role, um, that might keep us on track. I'm using Wikipedia because I couldn't really find anything else. So this does go in alphabetic order. The first person we're going to talk about or that we're going to name is Asparagus, who also goes by Gus. He's also known as the theater cat. Uh, He is a frail elderly cat who used to be a famous stage actor. I'm going to say this whole song with him. My God, tugged every one of my heartstrings. Like what? Yeah. He was so sad. I'm like, buddy. I know, I know, and I will just mention it for now. I know you haven't seen the film version of this yet. And Correct. We'll save that for show notes. Correct. But Sir Ian McKellen <gasps> playing this part two is literal perfection. Oh. Just so, yeah. Uh, so the next person on the call sheet is going to be Bustaford Jones, who is also known as the Cat About Town, a fat upper class cat with a quote fastidious black coat and white spats. Respected by all, he is a man of leisure who frequents gentlemen's clubs for their fine dining. In most productions, the actor playing Gus also plays Bustifer, though in early productions, the part was handled by the actor playing Old Deuteronomy. Ooh, good little piece of trivia to know. Yeah, because he sort of just disappears. Yeah, it like you see him for one number and then it's like, mm, where'd he go? We just know that he's at a gentleman's club. We don't need to know anything else. We're going to move on to Grizabella, a former glamour cat ostracized by the Jellicles who has lost her sparkle and now only wants to be accepted. Which, didn't Dame Judi Dench play this role? Oh, she was, but for the film, she... Uh, ended up playing old Deuteronomy. Now, fun little trivia fact. Neat. Judy Dench was stapled to be in this original opening London production. I thought I had read that. And she was going to be Grizabella, but due to injury, she had to be pulled. <gasps> it was a 42nd Street? Oh, no. Literal 42nd Street. It was a fun little thing for her to get to be in Cats and mm-hmm. be in this film. Because sure. it was like a full circle moment for her. Oh, okay. That's kind of cute, though. I love that. Next on the call sheet, we're going to talk about Jenny Any Dots, a.k.a. the old Gumby Cat. 
She sits around all day and is seemingly very lazy, but at night she becomes very active as she rules the mice and cockroaches, forcing them to undertake helpful functions and creative projects to curb their naturally destructive habits. Once we actually get into like all the songs and all the particulars and we start talking about this, uh, this 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 particular song actually ends up being a little problematic uh, or or so what we we found over time. Girl. So, they, um, so I'm excited to get into it. The next person on the call sheet is uh, McCavity, a.k.a. the Mystery Cat, a notorious criminal known as the Napoleon of Crime, usually played by the actor playing Admetus and or Plato. Hashtag sidecats, just sidecats. <laughs> Next on the call sheet is Mr. Mistopheles, a young black and white tuxedo Tom learning to control his magical powers. He is a featured dancer performing his signature conjuring turn 24 consecutive a term in ballet that I do not know. Fuetes? Yes. I was like, you are Captain Dance Captain. You'll know. It's fine. Mistopheles' chorus identity is sometimes known as Huaxo. Every now and then, it's a weird thing within this cast that it ends up having a different name and it's just odd. But as we'll learn, cats have three different names. But cats anyway. do have three different names. So next, we're going to mention Mungo Jerry. A mischievous troublemaker, he is one half of a notorious duo of cat burglars, along with Rumpelteaser. Right. This is sort of the vaudeville duo. Oh, my God. These two are super fun. Like, they're just... I mean, of course, their number is also very iconic and um, is replicated a number of times in uh, film and television. Then next on the call sheet, we have Monkey Strap, a gray tabby tomcat who is the storyteller and protector of the Jellicle tribe. He is Old Deuteronomy's second-in-command and the show's main narrator. I always find it funny because he really doesn't get his just dues right. generally in this show. Right. He's not even asking for himself to be up for consideration in this Jellicle Ball. No. Um, he doesn't have a song about him, but he really is sort of the... <laughs> when Old Deuteronomy's not there, he's the oldest kid that's in charge. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's the oldest sibling in charge. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with that. I'm speaking as the oldest sibling. I would do that often. Built-in babysitter. It's fine. Built-in babysitter. Well, speaking of, let's mention old Deuteronomy, the wise and benevolent elderly Jellicle leader who is beloved by his tribe. Then next after that, we have Rumple Teaser, uh, a mischievous troublemaker. She is one half of a notorious duo of cat burglars along with Mungo Jerry. Then we're, this is my favorite character, I think, in the entire show. Rum Tum Tugger. I'm just, oh my, my, I got David Bowie vibes immediately. Well, and see, this is the thing. I think you just sort of implant and take whatever major pop star is happening at that moment. Oh, and totally. You put this in. Totally. Like newer revised versions. For a while, he turned into like a rap cat. <laughs> cat stands killed that. They they hated that. So they took him back to like a pop devo situation. Yes. But yeah, on the recent touring production, it was very much like a like a Oh, I don't even know. Like a Bruno Mars like vibe. It was Whoa. just a, like yeah, it was really cool. Neat. Yeah, Rum so Rum Tum Tugger is a flashy and unappeasable cat who loves to be the center of attention. So something to note, um, Sabrina, this is her favorite character in this show. Ooh. 
And so I, the the Phantom of the Pod said that to me this morning, and I then respond with, man, I would love to watch her gender bend that role, because she would murder she that. She would kill that role. Literal yeah. murder. It would be delicious. Anyway, if you want to get to know Sabrina, uh, she's in our Rent episode. So. And Jesus as Christ well, Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. Next on the call sheet will then be Skimbleshanks, a.k.a. the Railway Cat, an upbeat and active orange tabby cat who lives on the mail trains and acts as the unofficial chaperone to such an extent he is considered rather indispensable to the train and the station employees. He's so cute. <laughs> How many places do you see that post their like cats that are like on their, you know, like at their place of business and they they give them a job? Like that's absolutely what that is. It's so freaking adorable. Oh, oh yeah. By this point, if I'm watching the show live or when I'm watching the film mm. or whether I'm watching the stage 1998 film version they had by the point i get to skimble shanks i'm like ah yay and i'm just smiling <laughs> from ear to ear <laughs> i could totally see you as a skimble shanks to be honest or mr mistopheles i have an order of like i would love to be mr mistopheles of course I skimble love you. shanks absolutely but like i would also deal with a monkey strap like i love that as well Ooh, <laughs> yeah you could absolutely do that 1000 percent. oh oh all right i'm just imagining you as a cat now um, meow. The last person on the call sheet is Victoria, a demure and graceful white kitten. She is a featured dancer opening with a ballet solo after the naming of the cats and is the first character to touch Grizabella, which I think is also such a pretty moment with the two of them because mm-hmm. like she's kind of the first person to, when Grizabella comes back, she's the first person to go, yep, we're going to take you back now. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning. And I think she's almost more of a side character in the stage production, but she does have her like featured dance moments. She's the main ballet cat. Yes. And the the thing is, they in, if you've had the privilege and or horror, depending on how you view it, of watching the filmed <laughs> version, she has turned into the vehicle that you get to latch onto and is your anchor. throughout this entire thing. They sort of changed her backstory some so that a viewer of the film has that anchor to take them through each of these production numbers. So this show is a review show is what I would call it. Like it's, it's the songs are not connected. They are singular in their plot devices for their own personal character. So that's what's, that's what's hard for a lot of people. So they knew going into a film, they needed a connector. And so they took this sort of featured cat and gave her a backstory to where she's now learning about what being a Jellicle cat is, what what this whole process is. Ergo, us as the audience slash viewers of this film are learning along with her what all of these things are. So it was really smart to make this switch to film, but so many people just couldn't get over the film in its entirety that this was overlooked (sighs) overall. Yeah. When the day's hustle and bustle is done, then the gumby cat's work is but hardly begun. She thinks that the cockroaches just need employment to prevent them from idle and wanton destroyment. So she's born from the love. Well, my dear, that is your call sheet. That's as uh, as far as. I think we should dive because, of course, like I said, that there are a lot of other cats that we could name. I mean, this is an absolute ensemble show down to its core. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like I feel like those are some good mains to follow. This is where I usually go into a plot. 
for what this is. We've Correct. sort of talked about what a synopsis is and sort yeah. of how this is strung together. Yeah. But for a f- actual plot for a show for so many people, say, doesn't have a plot, is so simple. I think people often try to dig too much into it. So let me tell it as succinctly as I can. Once a year, Jellicle cats gather to battle it out Terpsichorean style to see who is worthy to be chosen and rewarded to live out another of their nine lives the way that they want by being sent to the heavyside lair and thus born anew. Got it? (laughs) Totally. 1000%. Yeah. Confused? Because most people are. Yes. So there is even a couple side plots if you really want to get into it. So we've mentioned one cat is hellbent on being chosen. So they end up kidnapping the cat that makes the Jellicle choice. McCavity takes old Deuteronomy and thus trying to ensure that they are the cat chosen to be reborn because McCavity does not like his life. He wants a new one. So the second sort of subplot is one cat is always looked down on among all the other cats in pity and shame as they don't believe her to be a jellical cat at all. And that would be Grizabella. And so her constant presence reminds all of them what it actually means to really be a jellical cat. All right. I can. Yep. Mm hmm. I, I can see that. So to explain this more, there's only one place we have, and that is to take this from the beginning. That will bring us back to Joe. All right. <clears throat> We're going to start right meow. He's literally <laughs> cracking his sternum right now, getting ready to pop off. Let's this go. Is- This is so, okay, I have three major things that I have to talk about when we start from the beginning. I have a fun point to bring up right at the very end of all this, so hopefully we get there this year. So... (laughs) (laughs) What year is it? It's been 84 years. shit are we covering that musical about death oh my god Ooh, that would be a good one i should see if i can squeeze that in Ooh, that one has a really fun bad history too anyway <laughs> besides the fact that the satanic because <laughs> <laughs> how much worse do we need other than the death of 1500 people <laughs> so when you talk about cats you have to go back to Egypt, right? Of course. Egypt. Egyptians worshipped cats, of course. Like, we all know this now. Right. They believe them to be a magical species, deities even, like, that would bring luck to anyone that housed them. Even Cleopatra had a cat. Um, Its name, you ask? Cleopatra. (laughs) (laughs) No. I wish I was joking. This is all spurred on. There's this whole legend surrounding a story that explains why dogs are now man's best friend. And it's this lore surrounding Cleopatra. But um, (sighs) it's documented that she had a cat named Tavali. But there's also lore that she had a cat named Cleopatra. And I just find it to be the funniest stupid thing on this planet. It will only ever be Cleopatra. So take take that with a grain of salt, but I thought it was so laughable I had to <laughs> put it in. In this period of time, cats too were embalmed and mummified as they were revered that much. Funny enough, I was just watching something sort of historical on 
television where they had found a cat mummy and they did an x-ray to see inside expecting to see cat bones but nothing was inside this this you know wrap apparently there was this whole underground black market for fake cat mummies where people would take their dead cat to a place so they could be preserved in mummy form and then the shady business would then lie to the owner and give them a blank kitty shell wrap with no there no dead cat inside it's the weirdest thing like they what? didn't want to take the time they were so like either overwhelmed with orders of mummy cats that they couldn't like fulfill them all <laughs> but anyway cats were part of rituals they were thought to be so aloof and had such personalities that they felt sort of alien, like even above dogs. And some say that is thought that they could take over the world if humans weren't there. Like it reminds me of that love, death and robots yeah. episode where cats took over. It really, I was like, Ooh, that's what happened. So yeah. So we, so we have to think of in this way about our plot in the show. Okay. So this, this creates the foundations of our plot of what, of why everything is happening rituals and, and all. there's even a nod in the film which is the most intelligent of nods to my to my mind <laughs> um, the, the fact that they called the theater where most of what would be considered to be act two takes place the theater's name is the egyptian so <laughs> yeah so all of this is just steeped in like lore and ritual which is why this feels Funny. mildly death cultish sure <laughs> right sure yeah. so so cats are this prisoner to ritual like much like a midsummer celebration is or something in the family you'll try it's their honorable cat So tying that in, we're flashing forward to early 1900s. This brought oh. about an era of interest in Egyptian culture. Like Egypt was being discovered, all the ruins and things, and all 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 those sarcophagi are being found. Sure. And this also like spurred architectural offerings and like Art Deco took inspiration. Books and culture was starting to become heavy in Egyptian, like Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile, like this, this whole whole thing. So all these things are got public interest up in what Egypt life was. Thus sure. followed in this thought of cats as house pets, because it was it was good luck in Egypt for, you know, cats to be sure. part of the house um so this spurred a rise in people owning cats so yeah cats became less tools more you know house pets around this time as well mm -hmm. so interesting cats but i mean if cleopatra can own cleopatra so can eunice down the street you know <laughs> it just goes to show that no matter how much time has passed we will always try to find a reason to make our pets some sort of version <laughs> of us oh oh yeah my oh, my yeah. that was very funny yeah so then we'll skip forward to 1939 when t.s Eliot had his book published and comprised together of uh, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. Mm -hmm. These these poems had actually started way, way earlier. So this is London. We're in post-World War One, pre-World War Two era when all of this is going down. But he wrote this, yes, under this pen name of Old Possum, which we believe was the nickname bestowed upon him by, I believe it was his brother oh. or something. That's a good show notes thing. So yeah. I'll correct that there uh, but i think it was because he 
was had originally written these poems for his godchildren, whom I believe is fathered by his brother. So correct of these little cretins. So uh, he. <laughs> Or should I say little kittens? Oh, so, cute. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. So he actually does have a large body of work besides these cat poems, too. But thanks to Weber, those are usually forgotten unless you're a lit major in college. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is something that's been brought to light maybe more recently. Um, he was potentially very racist. Potentially? Hmm. Yeah. And so it's yeah. it's it's uh it's in question but we're probably leaning on the side of probably yeah so, i'd say so especially against the asian culture so oh no peaks and pollicles the the great war in this show the the great war between the peaks and the pollicles and he refers to pekinese dogs those are the peaks okay Okay. So it's an Asian dog. Right. And they're brought up many, many times. And he, in these original poems, even drops an Asian slur. Um, it's not in the musical. It was in the original version. It's clearly not now. In a poem about Growl Tiger, he's the garbage barge cat. <laughs> Growl Tiger. Neat. Yeah, one has to assume that Elliot either hated these dogs to no end, like he had a bad experience with one, or he actually was just using this as a metaphor for... The Asian culture. So, well, then, one of those things subliminally making these statements, you know, further cementing it later, the fur, the fact on the side of probably was a little bit. Um, the first cat we officially get introduced to our Gumby cat, Jenny Anydots. She's talking about cockroaches, right? And how she, and mice, and all the little underlings, and how she has to always keep them in place and like make them work and do all these things. Well, right. cockroaches is used even to this day, uh, more so back then, but it was sort of like a blanket racist term, like they're the cockroaches of society. Insert stereotype of immigrant here, okay. a definition of what could be. So when these poems were written, this was the vernacular that was used. And we say, was it just because in accordance to what a cat's vantage point is, or was there some metaphor here? And some of the text sort of reads as like, oh, this might be a little problematic. But remembering we're in this World War II era, this is actually a hot button topic where different cultures, different races, sure. you know, regions, this is at the forefront of people's minds. So again, just putting laying that all out there for like where we are in time, what's being written. So clarity on that, where this is coming from. It's still bad though. And something that maybe just needs to be noted. Yeah. Then just talking about T.S. Eliot as a person overall, uh, it said he loved cats, and that is the understatement of the century. Um, <laughs> like, a lot. He enjoyed watching them, observing them, uh, and mm. this compilation of poems is almost like an instructional guide for his godchildren, um, especially <laughs> in the addressing of cats portion that, that we have, like sure. to insist that, you know, cats are not dogs, and you must approach them with reverence and bow before them and da, da, da. 
even his own cats had weird names and that's what's funny so like these weren't just fun little names that he made up for the these poems no uh his cats names were like jelly lorem petty paws whiskus george push dragon these what? are his cats these are his cats he'd go to friends houses and make up names for their cats and it's documented in letters <laughs> that he's written to people that he would go off on tangents about how excited he was to meet their cats and his theory and his theories about cat personalities. And he'd take the time in letters to explain his four different Myers-Briggs feline personality traits. What the hell is happening? There are apparently four personalities given to cats. There are Gumby cats, practical cats porpentine cats and a bravo cat i mean i'm about it but what again no answers only more questions a practical cat is a neat and intelligent cat a gumby cat is a lazy cat bravo cats are mean and powerful and porpentine cats are still a mystery to this day however if you google that word it's porcupine-esque right so it's assumed to be prickly and finicky sort of like a rum tum tugger Interesting, okay. So then uh, while I'm on this sort of vernacular thing, so uh, he always wrote about jellicle cats and pollicle dogs. Okay. A jellicle cat is a dear little cat. A pollicle dog is a poor little dog. Jellicle just means dear little. Okay. This origin is conflicting because he, T.S. Eliot would say that he heard one of his little godchildren in their little accent in London. They would be a dear little cat. And Jello, she, he thought they said Jellicle. Ah, uh, ha, ha. And a uh, poor little dog. And he thought it was Pollicle Dog. He swears it's that. However, his secretary sort of outed him. <laughs> just being like, nah, that's not the origin. He has other references to these things over his body of work. So it's to be determined, but he swears up and down. The first time we ever see a Jellicle reference is in 1931 in a letter to his godson explaining that once a year, all the Jellicle cats and dogs gather for a celebration. And then he uses the word Jellicle in a lot of other things. So we think he had a different meaning. Like, we don't know. Interesting. We're not sure. Okay. The overall mass meaning is known to be dear little cat. Cute. All right. So, yeah. So, level of obsession, kind of crazy. He would have probably taught a college course on this if he could. Like, ah. this, is, this is that level. Yeah. But instead, we're left with this book of poems and different types of cats. So, <laughs> laying the groundwork for our favorite man... The man we love, to hate, the head that we hate that we love. Is Weber going to get another three episodes out of us? <laughs> he was read these poems growing up uh, at bedtime, and he claims that he would read them even for funsies uh, on his own volition as an adult. Of course he did, because that's who he is. Because that's who he is. And he's actually known to be a like cat lover himself. Uh, there's a huge known story about when he was writing the sequel to Phantom, Love Never Dies. Mm. <laughs> In the days before auto recover, auto save, all those things, <laughs> he was writing some of some stuff for it. Cat uh, jumped onto his computer, deleted everything. <laughs> he wanted to challenge himself. Uh, he, he, unlike Joseph or Avita or Superstar at this point of time, he these lyrics and verse existed, but he wanted to see if he could work backwards and mm-hmm. you know write from a different perspective. Elliot's widow, Valerie Elliot, gave permission as the rights owner of the estate of these old possum poems. Um, 
I have to make this a significant bullet point here only because this would have changed the life and trajectory of what we know cats to be. Oh, okay. Elliot had turned down Disney who wanted to buy out the rights and create their own version of Cats years before. What? It's assumed that Aristocats is an answer. No. Yeah, but Elliot didn't budge. He did not sell those rights. Wow. Imagine cats have ex- having its own corner in Disney World. And so then that that means that uh Rum Tum Tugger is a Disney prince. Love it. Yeah, right. Yeah, let that bowl of cream warm in your belly for a hot second. Ow! <laughs> Elliot didn't want cartoon cats. He did not want them to be cartoons. Like he wanted he saw them as beings, as people, as these deities and understanding a little bit more this incomplete Animorph wannabe humanoid creature. Wow, that is freaking crazy. But when Weber approached Valerie for these rights, he he was very much like, I want it to be like a like a, a vaudeville, like a cabaret. Like I want it to be a review show. I want it to be popular. Like it's fun. That spoke to Valerie because that's exactly how T.S. Eliot would have done it. Cats. Yeah. So. Yep. So the rest is history. He put everything together, had workshops, had an affair on the side. But, you know, if you want that story, go listen to our 5,000 hour coverage of Phantom. (laughs) I refuse to give him 5,000 hours. (laughs) I think we finally got to it on top of part two, if I'm remembering correctly. I mean, I feel like that's probably true. that the dancers and actors in this sort of workshop phase for this questioned their own sanity and if they would ever be able to like work again. Um, yeah. The, the Elliot estate um, that owned these poems and rights was adamant they only used the text from the poems that was supplied. No script in the initial stages was ever written in this process. So it left everyone confused and concerned like what they were actually doing and what what was this plot. Oh boy. This show was so different and it sort of pioneered a different way of theater. You know, nothing before like this had ever been seen. This is just completely different. Yeah. So I, yeah. I remember studying even the marketing for the show in in my college courses. For years, it was the longest running show once it debuted in 1981. But part of this marketing, people never, ever, ever saw a picture of one of these performers. They never saw a cat. It was always just the eyes. So it left this intrigue, this mystery. And imagine like listening to someone be like, I just went to the musical Cats and like, oh yeah, how was it? What was it? And I, I, I don't know. Dancing cats and lycra and fur. I, 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 someone died. I, <laughs> this would just fueled the fire and made people want to go see it for themselves. Wow. Yeah. It was the longest running show. Fourth longest to date. Fifth, if you count this revival of Chicago. Currently. Wow. So this show is a spectacle. Like we have to, we have to give it 
that do it is a spectacle it sees the day from newsies for two hours and it's honestly not for everyone i i admit that as a cat stand this is this is one of the weber shows i can palette and it's probably because as a dancer one i enjoy it but it's in my bag of shows where it's just an escape for a little while you know i can totally believe but that's that. me yeah but, but people vehemently detest despise cannot even make mention of the show well, of you course know? like I was saying, you mention this in a group someone will start yelling but if theater doesn't invoke a visceral reaction what good is it doing exactly <laughs> That's really all the history uh, that I think is necessary to understand where this show was kitty birthed. So (laughs) it had its its, its own little litter of facts. (laughs) (laughs) Litter of hashtag litter of facts. Okay, that's pretty funny, though. But I think it's time that we pop into a critics review. So critics review, right? We this show has been running, I mean, for, you know, one of the longest running shows on Broadway. I felt it only right to try to find some sort of article that uh, talked about this show in its infancy, like right when it first opened. Um, so the date of this is October 8th of 1982. This uh, this thing is meaty. I mean, obviously you're in the New York Times. I mean, you've got eight point font and you've got columns and columns of things that you can do. I could probably just read the first maybe... I don't know. The first two paragraphs of this, if you want to go read the rest of it, go on to um, nytimes.com. You're able to go back through and you'll be able to find previous articles. Like I said, uh, October 8th, 1982. There's a reason why Cats, the British musical, which opened at the Winter Garden last night, is likely to lurk around Broadway for a long time. And it may not be the one you expect. It's not that this collection of anthropomorphic variety turns is a brilliant musical or that it powerfully stirs the emotions or that it had an idea in its head. Nor is it the probable appeal of, quote, cats, a function of the publicity that has accompanied the show's every purr since it first stalked London 17 months ago. No, the reason why people will hunger to see cats is far more simple and primal than that. It's a musical that transports the audience into a complete fantasy world that could only exist in the theater and yet these days only rarely does whatever the other failings and excesses even banalities of cats it believes in purely theatrical magic and on that faith it unquestionably delivers you can't get any better than that like that's what a way to start a review for a show like i said this was a new style of theater in a way like yeah. people had never seen anything like this yeah but uh, yeah resounding great reviews but yeah. that is not the way of the world so let's get into some talking points about cat yay <laughs> when the curfew was rung then i swung on the bell in the pantomime season i never felt that and I once, 
understudied Dick Whittington's cat. But my grandest creation, as history will tell, was fire for fiddle. The fiend. I kind of want to get it out of the way right meow. So, what is. <laughs> Do we have a tally going? You've done it at um, least four times, I think, this show. At least show. four, I yeah. think, probably. Prior to today, like tonight, sure. wh- what is your visceral reaction to the show and why? Well, prior to tonight, like I mentioned, I think, um, Violet Show, show Notes, notes Violet, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Um, that I have actually never been able to watch this musical all the way through. Like, I would get to a certain stopping point, and then I wouldn't be able to continue. So my my visceral reaction to this before tonight was kind of just utter apathy. Just, I had no feeling about it because like I normally, a a show like we've talked about will give me goosebumps. It will make me cry. It will make me feel something. And Cats didn't make me feel anything. And so I was like, all right, I was trying to give it the benefit of the doubt to go, look, we've had years between you trying to view this as we've been talking about it, I can see the merit in it and I can see the good things about it. And as we break down subplots and other things, I I can see it in retrospect. But when I first watched this, again, only more questions. I wanted to know so many things. I wanted to know why all the cats were thirsty AF, why they were touching each other. We had orgies going on. We had, I mean, there were just, I mean, don't get me wrong. Tomcats are Tomcats and I get that, but also... It was it was chaos, but it was not organized chaos, and it made me very angry, and I was very frustrated because I couldn't figure out what was going on. More to the point, I couldn't even hear the lyrics half the time. I mean, we're just in the infancy of like trying out a pro shot and figuring out what the hell it is. But you know, so I had to turn on the subtitles to be able to hear the music, and then when that didn't work, I just went, "All right, screw this. I'm gonna listen to Spotify and then go back to the musical." So then I actually have like a frame of reference <laughs> really to, to boil it down to the actual answer to your question my visceral reaction was frustration because i could not understand and there was no plot device or any person that went hi here's what we're doing come along with me and let me take care of you as an yeah. audience member i didn't feel taken care of i just felt abandoned and dropped into a world that was like <laughs> like a cat abandoned in a junkyard to go eh well you'll figure your life out my problem is I don't ever want to sit here and be like I don't want to sound like I'm defending this show all night I just want to talk about the show (laughs) no you were 100% accurate in literally everything you were saying I can only (laughs) just assume let's talk about it What, what experience prior to tonight did you have with this show um our local theater did it in the early 2000s I think I didn't get a chance to go see it in any Spotify playlist I have of Broadway show tunes like you know memory is in there I I, so very minimal exposure tried to watch it when I was 14 couldn't really get through it and then just being told over and over again by any casting director if you're gonna audition for me do not sing anything from cats or I will I will disqualify you immediately it was like the wicked of its time right like you had this overly done thing and probably every woman was trying to sing memory at an audition. My history with this show is really odd. Baby Tiny Steven. Oh. I would would go to 
my grandmother's house and she had, I don't even know what you call it, <laughs> but it's like this, this tchotchke that okay. it would, it was sort of a round glass pedestal on the bottom. It had a music box, but when you wound it up, it had on its stand, the little round mirrored pedestal would spin and play a song oh. on top of it was a little glass cat figurine made all clear pure and then there was a little crystal round ball that it was playing with oh. and a song would play i was enamored with it mm. when i was growing up just tiny tiny steven like tiny four-year-old steven. steven just would love to play with it wind it up watch it go around and do it all over again for Aww, an hour because you know you're a child yeah fast forward to me way later in life i think i was middle school ish love musicals i am at our video store and I see cats in VHS. <laughs> Glorious VHS. This looks intriguing. Neat. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to explore all avenues of theater. Like I'm the middle schooler renting cabaret and like all cats. And I love you so you know. much. <laughs> yeah, so I take it home. I pop it in. I'm truly like taken into this world of cats and I'm a little horrified and I'm a little intrigued and it's the best of everything. Yeah. Like, the best and worst of everything. Yep. I almost think this is what got me into wanting to like learn how to dance and like figure out Aww. some of that stuff too. Just because I'm like, what they're doing is incredible. What struck me was when Grizabella started singing memory you i suddenly had this that's so raven moment oh remembering sitting down playing with this glass pedestal on the cat and i went oh. whoa that was that song i I've, I've had cats in me <laughs> since oh. i was 3 or 4 and it's just crazy Watches of the night, I was always fresh and bright. Every now and then I'd have a cup of tea. With perhaps a drop of It was so popular. It was so popular. Unbelievably what so. Do, what do you think made the pendulum swing so hard the other way? Like what it, it was a major sensational opening and a decade of it owning the theater scene. I remember in the, watching the nanny, Mr. Sheffield was always like cursing Weber for like Yay! Cats. And he was always up against cats and Weber. Core memory unlocked. Oh my right? god. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I would have to say that it probably, I mean, it just seems like it's um, a thing of the times where, like, something is popular for a certain amount of time, and then all of a sudden people are like, you know what, no, that's actually really stupid. And all it takes is, like, one group of people to say, no, that's dumb, and they get a bunch of people on their bandwagon, and then it violently shifts the other way to now it's no longer cool to like it. And I think that probably in, I mean, you could look at that era of, like, I don't know, movies or television or, you know, what have you. But, like, they started to make fun of cats in things like television shows and not yeah. in a way that was cheeky and fun, but it was, this is stupid. Here's why it's stupid. So, I don't know. I think that it just, it seems to always go that way where something really popular has to go through that kind of period of hatred. I think it just is naturally every, like, 10-year period, there is something popular that then goes on the chopping block that then has to turn around again and be popular. 
So I do you think Ham- do you think Hamilton's gonna have that? Oh, one thousand percent. I mean, like Hamilton, people are still in the honeymoon phase of Hamilton, where everyone is like, "Oh my God, Lin Manuel! Oh my God, like I love the music! Oh my God!" Now, don't get me wrong, I am on the Lin Manuel Miranda you, bandwagon. You, yeah, I am driving the bandwagon. We're making margaritas in the back of the bandwagon. I'm all about it. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that there is there is going to be that pendulum swing where you know something is going to happen, which is either going to make Hamilton controversial or it's going to make it. Uh, Somebody's going to find that it's not historically accurate. <laughs> I mean, or, you know, there's going to be some something that will then swing it and people will be like, nah, Lin-Manuel's pretentious and meh, because let's be okay. I yelled out loud today in a public place that I should not have done. I said, and I quote, this is the product of doing cocaine and reading T.S. Eliot. I'm done. And I said it out loud it was an interior thought that became an exterior comment and the three people that were sitting in this like general like common workspace just all slowly turn and look at me and i forgot that i had headphones in that are noise canceling so it was even louder but there will always be that group of people that goes well this person's pretentious so like you know uh, looking back to hamilton there will be people who are like oh well lin-manuel just like wanted to do like whatever with something good like that like cats there always has to be a group of people in opposition to it because then it makes it polarizing but polarizing in a way that leads to a conversation i think if you turn it polarizing where it's just people fighting about it and going, oh, this is stupid, without being able to really defend why they don't like it. Those conversations are not worth having. But you yeah. should be able to articulate why you do not like something while also giving somebody the freedom to be able to say why they like it and then mutually leave it at that. Totally. And it is my most frustrating thing with this show. One out of 10 people who like cats, but to. <laughs> But to try and have, like, an educated conversation with someone who despises this show is the hardest thing. Because I'm like, okay, but why? And they're like, kitty buttholes. And I'm like, that's not a reason. (laughs) And also, if we're looking at this pro shot that was in the 90s, they're all in spandex suits. Like, calm down. They don't actually show butthole, okay? Calm down. This is a side fun fact. Uh, the leg warmer trend actually started because of this show. The first thing the Phantom of the Pod said when he saw me watching this, he went, oh, clearly we're in the 80s. Look at all the leg warmers. I said, yep, they're all here. It became like a staple in the 80s because of this show. Mm -hmm. So that's fun. That's a fun little side fact. I love, oh, so now we need a sound effect for a side fact. Side fact. (laughs) Side fact. It's it's always just really funny because I can't defend this show, especially to like those people who vehemently hate this, because right. I agree with you. I see all of the problems. I see all of the weaknesses. I don't care. <laughs> I just don't care. It's exactly how I felt about Beetlejuice. Like there are shortcomings of the show. Absolutely. Every show yeah. is going to have them. 
but yeah. you still like it and it's it's healthy to get into a conversation with somebody who does not who doesn't like it as much as you because then they're going to give you perspective you're going to give them perspective and then if you're if you're not going to be assholes about it then you can walk away from it fine i mean i think a lot of people hate this they because like i said you walk into the theater and these people playing cats like as an actor i have to laugh because i'd be like i am a grown adult i'm impersonating a cat <laughs> Like, you have to have that come to Jesus moment with yourself, right? You know, I think you do. Yeah. Anytime we're playing animals, any, I mean, like, you have to do that anytime you're, do, you're like, okay, what? No. Like, it's, it's all in. Like, you have to go all in. Like, oh, they totally. have cat education classes, like, movement classes and all these things. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Jillian Lin, I believe was her name show notes but she was super involved of course because this entire show is choreographed stem to stern like it's all done by her oh she's, sure. she's responsible for the spectacle that the show is weber aside it's her show yeah it's her show mm -hmm. she staged the damn thing <laughs> so, so it's like you know you have to give her that credit too like totally. i always say like as a choreographer and i think i think i was i was watching something with her in it and she said something similar i've always felt like the second the music turns on in a show when you're the choreographer you're in charge of the show when that music starts you can have suggestions and wants from a director of course but it's it's the choreographer show and Absolutely. this is a dance show this is a dance show much like a chorus line much like newsies this is a dance spectacle and it's it's amazing it's amazing to watch i don't care if you hate the kitty buttholes this show is amazing to watch if you're paying attention to kitty buttholes you are not watching the theater you are literally trying to find reasons to not like it and as somebody who has had difficulties trying to watch this, all I was able to do was marvel at the idea that Victoria, our little white kitten, could do a controlled split all the way to the ground without, like, without ripping or tearing anything. And I was like, damn, girl, look at her go. Yeah, not, not to mention her holding a split standing one leg split in the air for an entire goddamn minute. Yeah, that's talent and I, I half of my thing with especially actors and theater people who hate this show I think they're jealous of the people that can actually do this show totally hot take but I think there's a little part of them that are like oh I can't do that show I can never be it so I hate this show I hate it <laughs> and I'm sorry I was actually having this conversation with somebody else the other day it's okay to be jealous, but you know what? More to the point, it's okay to say that you're jealous because, like, oh, yeah. sometimes you just got to get it out there. And I'm not going to lie. There was a moment where this beautiful white kitten, like, does this, you know, she does, like, a back bend, and then somebody picks her up, and she bends over his back and is just, like, one leg in the air, just, like, hanging the f*** out. And then he, mm -hmm. like puts her down on top of someone else and this is where I had a problem his hands went all the way from her neck down her chest and all oh, yeah. the way down this was the sexy kitty time sexy kitty yeah. time and I was like alright so we're having a cat orgy this is interesting but the movement itself was absolutely just mesmerizing so yeah. good a, a lot of those moves have um, 
ooh, I get to talk about Fosse. Uh, <gasps> a lot of those moves have an origin in, in Fosse culture. And like 70s were coming out of, you know, his sure. absolute era and into the 80s, of course. Sure. But yeah, so a lot of those movements were pulled. And uh, I do remember seeing that Jillian Lynn was like, yeah, this is a jazz show. It's a ballet show. But it's also, it's a vaudeville show. Yeah. It's, a, it's a everything show. Yeah. Everything is covered in this show. So I, I just, I appreciate it for its dance prowess and ability and the spectacle that it is and i so quickly just get over the fact that i'm watching humanoid cats but that's me and some people can't get over that hurdle and i get that too it's freaky as (laughs) (laughs) i mean i could get over the animal the anthropomorphic cats like i really could like i was because there were moments. Well, okay, but th- th- sorry. Think of this. Think of, like the sh- the Shreks, the Susicles, Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Wh- why do we not give cats the same pass? <laughs> I think because all of those have a storyline that you're following from point A to point B, and cats doesn't readily give you the here's our starting point here's where we're going to end we have a main character that is going on a hero's journey or we've got a main character who's got this super objective like we don't have any of that we are in this ethereal plane where we are talking about things that we have no basis of knowing so we have to discover what that is by really paying attention to what's going on here's a hot take that's why people don't like cats is because they have to pay more attention to what's going on to actually know why the musical is important with things like shrek and all that stuff you know what is going on from the moment the the movie or the from the moment the show starts because you have things like exposition and people telling you what's going on much like the animal they don't do that do you get it? Yeah. Oh, too bad. Oh, you don't? <laughs> F- you. So that's my hot take. People have to pay attention, and that's why they don't like it. This phenomenal cat produced seven kittens right out of a hat. And we all say, oh, well, I never was there ever a cat so clever as me. No, even being 13 years old and watching this for the first time, I got it. I got the story. And even if I didn't get the nuances of it all, what I got was that it was it was a it was a separate review style show where each cat got to state their case and someone was picked at the end and it is sort of competition style like no matter what i still got it i got that there was a bad guy in mccavity i got that there that was the conflict i got that i got that they hated grizabella and then at the end she had a beautiful character arc and the shift i got all that so when someone to me comes and is like oh i don't get it it just has nothing it has i'm like you should still be open to the experience of what you could get out of it. And even if that's nothing, even if you win and you went, okay, well, the story was there, not there, but the dancing was great or the, the set was gorgeous or the, you know, whatever it was. And you took something from it. That's still important. 
but it's when people are trying to find reasons to not like something and they just go in going, I'm going to hate this show. Like, I'm going to find a reason to not like it. It's like you're not doing it right. And don't come back to a show until you're ready and open to have an experience. Because, like, even this girl who did not like Oklahoma at all still gave it an opportunity. I think you're super affected by it. You even in the last episode talked about Will. Sure did. So dumb and yet so so beautifully dumb. Well, something else that maybe needs to be talked about with this show. I think we find things in these cats that we either see in ourselves, that we see in other people, or even more importantly, as pet owners, we see traits and Aww. can put those traits into our cats. Oh, I have a Mr. Mistopheles. He just magically makes rats appear at my feet, you know? Cute. That sort of thing. So... I think we can always find something like that. Like, what do you think about that? You as a cat owner. Um, so knowing that, so I have two cats. Anara is my old girl. She's, you know, 12 years old. And then I've got Zoe, who is my younger cat. She's, she's cute. Like, it's not really a kitten anymore. She's like two, maybe three. <laughs> oh man. I would say that Anara is, is uh, Jenny any dots. She's, she's lazy when you look at her and she's just like, I'm here for the food. Don't really pay attention to me. Don't make me do stuff. I'm just here. But then the sun goes down and all of a sudden she starts running around like she's a kitten and she will literally get the zoomies. I'm waiting for her to like plow into a wall and just like bust through the drywall. Like it is, it's (laughs) unbelievable. She's not training cockroaches to do stuff, but she is most definitely more active like when the sun goes down, which I find super funny. Zoe... Ooh, that's a good... She's either a little bit of rum-tum-tugger because she's just absolutely, like, you know, brash and, like, she's very loud. Like, when she wants food, she will yell at you until you feed her, which is Mm -hmm. just she learned from her sister, which I do not appreciate. Or she is McCavity. Ooh. So vindictive sometimes, and she does not like her life, and she (laughs) yells about it a lot. Ooh. Ooh, that's a Bravo cat. She is a Bravo cat. My little my my little drama queen. So yeah, yeah. I I I that's do for Myers Briggs of kittiness. <laughs> oh my god. I think we see traits of ourselves sometimes in these cats on stage. And oh, we're totally. like, oh I oh I do that. Oh, I'm kind of a railway cat. But I think we can also see we either know someone who has a cat. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, your cat's like Buster for Jones, like <laughs> the cat about town. Okay, well now I've got to know what do who do you identify as in this cacophony of catdom? Ooh, I'm often put in the position of monkey strap, so I think that's more my type. Uh, that's delicious. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? <laughs> I'm also Jenny Any Dots. <laughs> Love it. Either that or I'm Grizabella because I am constantly in the pursuit of being accepted. But oh no. I it's it's if Martha Dump Truck was a cat. Well, actually, let's that's a great segue. Let's talk about it. The emotional through line of this show sure. is Grizabella. Mm-hmm. So she does. She just wants to be accepted and loved and touched and seen. Yeah. Let's see. Why why is that familiar? Um Lydia, we could talk about Violet. We could talk about, I mean, Eponine. That's Grizabella. All you want, her, the lyrics in her song are so 
powerful. Mm-hmm. There's no question when she's stating her case in her sort of audition. She's explaining that all she can do is just pray she gets through the night so a new day can begin. And then that's also a bit of hope. It's okay, I made it another day. Maybe I can make it another. It's got to get better maybe tomorrow. You yeah. know, it's just crazy how stupid you're you're you get sucked into that particular storyline once you get over all the lycra and the, you know, kitty porn. So <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. A cuddle puddle with cats sounds great, but not a sexual cuddle puddle with cats. That's where I draw a line. <laughs> Their sort of emotional one that gets me is we had said it before. Gus's song um, oh. makes me. And I think even just as actors, as people who like do yeah. theater, I think we we connect with it so hard. And this he's just feeling himself. He's like, I'm aged out of all this. I used to be all these things. And I, I look at the glory days and I with great happiness. And that's really all it is. And, Aww. you know, he, it's, he he's so just content and he's like yeah i've lived a good life and i'd like to live another great one so beautifully compelling when he's talking about things like you know i used to do this and now i'm just sad because i've got you know palsy that makes my paws shake and he looks like he's gonna cry and i fun fact about mary i cannot watch men cry it literally kills me and especially if they're older men breaks every freaking heartstring i can't do it men should cry men have emotions you should feel them and do whatever you want to do but i'm here to tell you that like it just it triggers my empathy so hard and to watch him just look up and go yeah i think he was having a moment of like wow this really kind of resonates with me on a level i didn't think it did before it it adds that thing when we talk about being an actor and diving in and like we said when you're this cat you have to really commit and it's the best type of acting challenge i think when not only are you pushed physically Mm -hmm. but being able to be pushed mentally in that space as healthy as possible because i think there are unhealthy ways to push yourself in those things too but Mm -hmm. when you can add that realism to it too um it just creates these iconic things and to me that's one of those those moments is that the slapper of the show no it it's actually kind of long and it feels long sometimes depending on the production but yeah it's that song is worth it that song is worth it if you're willing to sit there and listen to that particular cat story sure like a flower as the dawn is breaking the So maybe a final major, major thing to talk about with the show. It's always... <laughs> <laughs> Why are you smiling? What's going on? Oh, no. Well, this show's also been like, oh, it's a death cult kitties. Like, they all, they drank the Kool-Aid. And now they're all jellical cats. In a very real <laughs> sense, though, I feel like that's, I feel like that's true. 
I think we have to talk about like, what is Jellicle? They're trying to get to this heavy side layer. Oh, heavy side layer, actual thing. A lot of people don't know this. What? People are so confused about heavy side layer. It is the E region in our atmosphere. Uh, I forget what it is, like 36 miles up. A layer that is of I ions that essentially protects us from radio waves and is known to maybe produce its own electricity. Tesla talked about this a lot in this early 1900-ness. Oh. So he had this theory to build towers, actually, um, off the ground and try to reach different regions of the sky that is known to have these natural electric abilities. No which way. Would then free electricity. But that's not good for capitalism. So no, he got no. squashed real quickly. Of course he did. So, and this E region is known as the... Kennelly Heaviside Layer. So clearly it was just the scientists who found this particular region. Sure. And it's named after them. So I'm sure this was going around earlier in this 1930s era because this is when electricity is still within its first decades of use and sure. people are still amazed by it. And so this Heaviside Layer is we're learning more about Earth and science is getting bigger. I'm sure it was just referenced and it wasn't a thing. But over time it's been forgotten and people just don't think about it. They don't think, oh, this is an actual place. Right. So these cats in their want to get up and about to this heavy side layer, aka sort of heaven-esque, but sure. a lot of people think it's like religious tones and it has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with religion. What do we think about this mentality of like easy sacrifice. Now, I sort of explained this is steeped in ritual, right? This is Egyptian. They revered death as just the transition to the next life. Sure. They thought of death as rebirth. They thought death was something to be celebrated. Yep. And that's what these cats are doing. And a lot of people aren't taking this into consideration when they're just like, it's a death cult show. And I'm like, yes, it is. I, I think that there is something to be said about the idea that death is inevitable and we can't, as much as we want to believe that we can outrun it, it will never happen. And something mm -hmm. that I actually read about, because I, I had to read a little bit up on this show because I had no idea what the hell was going on. It was said that it was a reference to the fact that cats have nine lives. So that's yes. what the rebirth is, is, bo you know, getting born back into, you know, something else. And multiple different cultures believe in the idea of, you know, rebirth and, and being, you know, um, reincarnated into some different form while still keeping, you know, elements of your previous lives. I mean, that's where deja vu comes from or where people say deja vu comes from. It's not necessarily about the the death quote part of it. It's about the idea of letting go of your former self to be born into something newer, maybe yeah. the hope of something better, um, but recognizing that those old things about you, some things are good to hold on to and some things are precious, but other things, if they they're a detriment. You've got to be dead to them and let them go because they're not benefiting you. And so they're using the, the tool of death and being reborn as a way to go, let's get you to the next better version of yourself. The only way to do that is by dying. I mean, it just is like it's it's either physical death or it's metaphorical death or it's, you know, intellectual death, whatever it is. Death is not always a bad thing. It's I mean, my God, we talk about the change of the seasons. Things have to die in order to be born again. So you mm -hmm. can't just hold on to old 
ways of thinking or old ways of doing things or old versions of yourself because it's just dead weight. It's not helping you. That's what needs to be taken away from that and get rid of the death cult part. Yeah, and I, I like talking about it in this way because even... <sighs> We'll take it from the actor's perspective again. To me, to be an actor means you have to understand yourself. Yeah. You have to understand your weaknesses, your strengths, what you are good at, what you're not good at. And you have to be real about it. If you aren't real about it, you're lying to yourself. It comes out in a performance because you are inhibited by your weaknesses. Can I hit that high C? I can't. So when I'm in a role that calls for that, yep. something has to change. Or I'm going to screw it up on stage. Yep. You have to be real and own those facts of who you are, which is sort of the allegory in all of this. These jellical cats know who they are. Yeah. They know what purpose they have in life, what their part in all of it is and they're real about it and they say this is what i want in the next life we can take that like grizabella talking yep. about tomorrow there's hope tomorrow i can wake up and be something better i can always mm. make a change mm -hmm. and that to me is what this show is is being real about you being true to who you are and understanding where your faults or weaknesses lie and just trying to be better. That's so beautiful, Stephen. That's so beautiful. I can't. I mean, what else do you say beyond that? That's just. That's the core of. That's the core of people being a being a people. That is the core of that. Ugh. So, let's what are your favorite songs in the show? What stands out? I mean, Memory is an iconic piece, but beyond that. Yeah, I can't say Memory because that would just, you'd have to take my theater card immediately because everybody says Memory. I really enjoyed the Rum Tum Tugger. Like, I just love that character in general. I love kind of the brashness that he kind of shows up with where he's, you know, he thinks he's like cock of the walk and, you know, everybody else also thinks that. So, they just kind of like fan themselves at his feet and just go, oh my God, you're so lovely. Um, so I do, I do love that quite a bit. Of course, honorable mention, Gus, the theater cat, it would, I mean, just pulled every heartstring for sure. You know, I actually really enjoyed, um, the addressing of cats, the, the finale song, like it just, Ooh. it hit, you know, I mean, not to try to do a cop out because it's the finale, but like, I think that for this particular show, it was such a strong finale because you've got the entire cast together that is talking, you know, kind of along the, in the vein of like what's in a name right like what's my name say my name all that kind of stuff knowing the cats have multiple names like all of these cats are going we kind of almost validated grizabella a little bit because we have you know we're saying her name or we're like you know we're, we're giving her this opportunity to show that we have grown and changed as beings you know whatever you want to call yeah. them but um it, it even though the rest of the show gave me a wicked amount of frustrated anxiety. Uh, this number brought it together because the 
it was the power of the performance itself. Like the actors that got together to sing this. I mean, what else can you ask for? Like it was literally like choral music. Like it was choral and beautiful and, and heavenly, which of course like matches perfectly in the vein of sending her off into this new life that she's going to go live. Those I think are probably my, my top three, my upper echelons I think would be those three. Yeah. I, my favorites in the show, it's like, opening number jellicle ball like mm-hmm. announcing it like sure. but that's because it's it's the big group number and like as the dancer it just fuels I'm just like <laughs> oh they're letting loose I'm like oh it's so good it's I'm tingling everywhere but, it just feels right yeah I feel right like, Brian I feel right I do love Gus's song I do find that so amazing mm-hmm. um but I like I said I really have a soft spot for Skimble Shanks, the Railway Cat. When that song, mm. by the time I hit that song, whether I'm watching a stage version or the film, I'm truly just in the best mood. And it, oh, that yay. number itself is a spectacle. And then they get to make like a train on stage using junkyard scrap, and that's amazing. Totally. In Act Two, there they do two back to backs right at the top of the act that are slower numbers and it feels slow and i don't think it sets you up well for the spectacle of the show and what it is so i think you almost not lose interest but you it's you feel it as a theater goer yeah, I would say that um, we the so the moments of happiness is the top of Act Two, and then yeah, it goes into Gus the Theater Cat. There, there needs to be especially when you're in Act when you get to the second act, you you don't want to lose people, and like that's I would say probably making an assumption typically why the beginning of Act Two, any one of those numbers is usually kind of like a higher you know kind of octane higher number, yeah, yeah, to keep people interested. Um, they always say the second number in Act Two is always the throwaway song. Oh, well, I mean, I couldn't throw away Gus the Theater Cat because it's just—it's. I mean, you gotta, you gotta do it. You know, you wouldn't want to get rid of, you know, like the naming of cats at the top of Act One because, like, that yeah. sets up, you know, future kind of things. I don't know, like. I, Maybe the one that I would cut would be um, Growl Tigger's Last Stand or The Ballad of Billy McCaw. I think it's Growl Tiger. They only. Oh, it is Growl up... Tiger. I'm sorry. He had a bigger part in the film in that way, but he does have a number in the show. Now, it wasn't featured in the 1998 version. They cut it for time. Right. As someone who's seen this stage show done professionally a few right. times. Um, this most recent touring production even here in Portland. And I will say it is a different thing to watch live than it is even on this filmed version that everyone knows. Sure. And there's, there's just something about it. And maybe that added to its popularity when you're watching it live, you get, transported to this junkyard (laughs) there's just something like we've said about being able to experience it with a group of human beings watching the same thing it's voyeuristic but in such a wonderful way because we're all there to do that but we're there and then you can you can gauge audience reaction you can see what other people are thinking and feeling and you can either drive with it or you're you know you're uh, at odds with it but there will always be something to be said about seeing it live because the energy is different. Like you will never be able to capture audience energy in a pro shot. You just won't. You can only get that when you're in the room. You can't get it anywhere else. I tell this story in a, the saddest thing. So the Cats film 2019 was the last 
movie movie I went to before everything shut down for COVID. Oh, fun. First stage show I got to go see post-COVID was Cats. So it was a weird full circle moment. And That's so cute. I honestly broke down crying watching Cats just just because watching people living their best lives and like getting to perform again, doing what they do so well. And I was feeling joy for them as a performer. Oh, I can only imagine how good you're feeling right now up on that stage. And I I, I happened to go to a night where one of the cast members, it was their last night and they announced it on the whole thing. He happened to end right in front of me. I was pretty far forward and he tumbled in his last standing pose right after the addressing of cats. And he was breakdown bawling. Like he was so, so happy and sad all in one. There wasn't a, I wasn't the only one. I was not the only one. Of like, course you weren't the only one. We're like, when cats can make you cry, what 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 world are we in? It means the heavy layer. That's where we are. Exactly. It means you're living your best life, Stephen. That's what that means. I will just quickly say, you can agree or disagree. I, I think the weak points of this show are the stodgy plot, which is probably only meant for the fact there was no script and they just threw together these poems. And when the actors themselves are going, um... Is my career over? (laughs) Maybe that's a problem. Is this a career limiting move for me? Probably. But then I do think connected that there's just not enough explanation of these plots and plot holes even. Like you you just have to accept that some things are, and like that's theater. You just have to walk into a moment, a period of time, and you don't always have that ability to to explain. Mm -hmm. But it feels patchy just in that way because it is a review sort of show based upon random poems by a crazy cat man <laughs> by a crazy cat man who then had a crazier man do coke in the 80s and be like hey we're gonna turn this into a musical isn't it gonna be fun it's gonna be fun gonna i be sued by yep Andrew <laughs> bring it on i mean i would say a one of the weak points of this for me i mean knowing that it is you know knowing now that we've had a conversation that it is a kind of almost vaudeville style show where it's just like Fully. acts that are kind of like strung together there's no real major plot there were moments where i got lost only because we were doing so much dancing and there was nothing else happening so i'm like i i pretty much uh, checked out for like I don't know maybe two full minutes and then I checked back in and went oh we are still dancing okay neat but imagine as- dancing for 50 minutes straight and then having to power ballad no no I barely could dance for 90 seconds and then sing totally f- no no <laughs> Steven no thank you gah yeah it's yeah yeah, but it's but it's i mean so that it just and that's also because like i am not a i am not a dancer by nature so like i could appreciate the movement and it looked beautiful but like there were times where i just go okay i feel like i'm watching an opera because the music is going they're dancing but there is nothing else happening Oh, this is the ballet part of this show. I see. Yeah, it's, okay. it's a dream ballet. <laughs> oh my God, another Oklahoma reference. And call him by his name. Oh, 
how about we do a questions for table read? It's my favorite part. <laughs> I made it just for you. I know you did, and it's, my heart's just happy about it. All right, meow. Hit, hit me right, meow. So I'm actually going to lump all these three together. Whoa! It's representation. The thing is, they're all cats. So how do you do that? You don't do that. It doesn't matter. No. Because they're all under makeup and no one can see anyone. And even on the representation side, it's always speculated sometimes. Mr. Mistopheles and Rum Tum Tugger have a thing going on. Obviously. Some of the the, like side kitties have things. So like, but it doesn't, none of it matters. It's a show about cats. Yeah, they're literally, if you look at cats, they, I mean, I'm sorry, you find a cat in heat, it will literally f*** anything. It, it, it matters not. <laughs> One of my favorite Andrew Lloyd Webber quotes when someone's like, is this like a, is this something about the queen? Is this, is this, is this a talking about society? Like, what, what is this show really about? He very bluntly just states, it's about cats. <laughs> 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 you pretentious asshole! We know it's about cats, you f-er. <laughs> But you know what? If I have also built a career on things like Phantom of the Opera and cats, I also would just flat out don't be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> It's about cats, duh. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Based on the work of T.S. Eliot, who literally just like... <laughs> if you're going to base anything on anything written by T.S. Eliot, you literally can't find any other deeper meaning other than what he wrote about. Even the Phantom of the Pod was like, I'm really excited to hear what you guys have to say about this because this is a coke-fueled thrill ride based on a guy who took shrooms and wrote about his cats for his family. Like, he was the black sheep of the family that they were like, oh yeah, I mean, that you don't want to talk to him because all he does is just like stare at cats all day and it kind of gets creepy after a while. So creepy. You, it's about cats. Well, okay. Does the story hold up without the music? No. And I'm just going to say no. No. I mean, it's, it's a separated book of poems. There is it barely has a plot, so let's not pretend that this could be a play. Could let's you Im- could you imagine though if someone oh, tried geez. to do this without all of the songs? Can you imagine that? <laughs> I broke Steven's I brain. Screenshot right now, like no, it's just a hard no. Hard no. Could it change era, time, decade? I, this, of course, it's not set. They're in cats. Any They're cats. <laughs> As long as there are cats, this show can go on. It's it's about cats. <laughs> yeah. Well, amateur or professional, scale of one to ten. Now, I've seen 
a community theater production of this, and it was pretty rudimentary, but it was still entertaining. Sure. But it was a lot of work. Well, remembering that this scale is about we as people looking at it and going, what would we rate this if I had to walk in and do it? Or if I knew like who was, you know, somebody was putting it on. For somebody who is not a dancer, um, I would absolutely put this at a solid like eight. Because this is something that requires dancing prowess, technical dancing prowess to be able to do things like group numbers. You're picking people up off the ground. You're holding poses for longer than 10 seconds. You're you're doing, there are pyrotechnics that are involved in this show and dancers have to be mindful of all that. Actually, core memory unlocked. You said pyrotechnics, the community theater that put this on had an incident where the white kitty got burned. <gasps> yeah. No. So, I mean, if you want to do it, do it. But yeah, when you're in a non-professional, uncontrolled setting, sometimes oh my God, be things safe can go awry. It. Oh my yeah. God, no. Dancing alone, it. I, I'm I'm actually going to agree with you. I, I'm going to put this at an eight. Oh. It, it, <clears throat> even professional or non, depending on even the dancing, this is going to be hard no matter what. Like yeah. the amount of dance alone is going to be difficult for anyone to remember. Yeah. Anyone. I don't care I don't care who you are, how talented you are, how professional or amateur you are. Yeah. This is gonna be hard. Fifty years from now, will cats still be being staged? Probably. I'm gonna say probably. Humanity's obsession with cats in general is not going to be gone anytime soon to my mind it's the number one thing searched on the internet so i'm pretty sure cats are here to stay and i think cats the musical will follow suit because it was born in an era where it became so popular so quickly there are so many generations of people who know what cats is more to the point people who have done cats who have seen it it is now i think a an iconic staple of pop culture like it is just it is ingrained, it's ingrained in people exactly so i i think that even if we wanted to get rid of it there would always be a group of people that would bring it back you know and much like we've talked about sometimes something doesn't need to have deeper meaning and it doesn't need to be anything this could be that musical for people that's like i just want to go yeah. see a bunch of people dancing and hear some fun music and then like okay cool i walk out of the theater going oh yeah i saw cats like look at their makeup like that was super cool yeah but you know it doesn't have to have deeper meaning but obviously we've discovered we've dug for the nuggets and we found it but you know absolutely i think that that is true because there are too many people who know it and too many people who love it who would would continue its legacy. This show sells out immediately still. And a yeah. lot of people ask, who's watching Cats? And I think everyone's, everyone who likes Cats just secretly likes Cats because they don't want to admit they like Cats. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you buy your ticket in shame just at your house. Just you Shame purchase tickets. <laughs> you don't go to the will call window. You literally just get it emailed to you and you just hold on yeah. to your phone. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, would we show cats to aliens? You know? I would do it sure. just, I would do it just to f*** with them, honestly. Same. There are people that love cats so much. They'll make this musical. 
And just to watch on their alien faces, just try to compute the idea that we are taking an animal and we are putting it upright on its hind legs and then making it do like pot berets and like, you know, stag leaps and all of that. Just to watch it go, mm, those two things do not compute. And I don't know if I like it and, you know, cause them existential dread. Be very thoughts on cats mary <laughs> i mean you know like i said i started this episode very kind of hot out the gate going oh my god i've got so many issues i got but now that we've talked about it and we've been able to actually have a dialogue about it i get so hot so quickly because i just if i don't have a plot structure to follow i am one of those people that gets mad because i have to think too hard about it i'm like i want someone to tell me what it is that i'm looking at and then I'll be able to pull things as long as I have a roadmap. Knowing I didn't have a roadmap and that I had to kind of just follow literally feral cats around and go, what the shit are you all doing? Um, made it very hard for me. <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't feel like I wasted my time. It was definitely, there were thing, good things about it that I took away from it. It does not resonate the same with me just because I am not, I'm not a dancer and I'm not something, when you watch this, you go, oh my God, I see people doing my craft that I love. And oh my God, like it makes me feel that. I think it is something that is worth seeing. And, but they're maybe not worth seeing, but like the people who want to love it will get through the whole thing and they will do it. But the people who don't really care about it, I don't think those people need to finish it because they already know that they're not going to make it to the end. So don't force people to do that. Um, and that's what I love about this show is that it will absolutely draw a line in the sand and put people exactly where they need to be. And that's okay. That's absolutely okay. And I think that that is valid. And I would not say that about every show, but with this show in particular, because there is no plot structure to follow, that's why I like that it does that. I will defend cats till my dying day. I and, know, uh, I know you will, baby. I, th I think it has a place in the musical sphere. And, uh, you know, I celebrate those kitty buttholes. <laughs> oh my God. But seriously though, I, this show to me is just such a testament to what we do in our craft as a, a deep dive into character. Sure. The talent and years it takes to even have the amount of talent to do what you see professionals do with this show. Sure. It, it's a testament to everything that we do actually love about this craft that we call theater. Mm. And um, while this show is polarizing, that's good theater. That's good theater. Will you please drop a clue for what we're going to do for our next show? Our next show is very... Jim Henson-esque and actually has some roots in the original production. But uh, I will just say it has two main characters that share the same name. 
two characters that share the same... Oh, and Jim Henson? I got two clues. Neat. Okay. Hmm. My brain has stopped because it's it's covered in fur. And I need to go. I need to go shake it off. If you have enjoyed this conversation as much as we have, and you want to get in on this conversation, make sure you follow us on Instagram from the top underscore podcast. If you have shows that you'd like Stephen and I to talk about, to rate, review, to rant about, if you have things about this show that you absolutely love that you want to make sure that you tell us about because we're good little kittens, or oh my gosh, I would love to know every single detailed reason why you hate and or love this show and we can talk about it and i would love it i would love it so steven wants to be a bad kitty and i'll be a good kitty but if you want to get into it with us and, and get into a cat fight as to why you do or do not like this show you can also email us at podcast from the top at gmail.com so steven this has been delightful thank you for opening my eyes to a whole fur covered world of ridiculousness and fancy and uh until next time this has been from From the the top a wandering unicorn production If you had to spend one night with either the Railway Cat or Rum Tum Tugger, who do you choose? Well, just feed me a little catnip and we'll see what happens.